0: When you put on your kind of parkour <laughs> like vision, suddenly everything is applicable to you and everything is you can interact with, whether that's in nature or with an urban environment. And one of the crazy things about it as well was the fact that you could train at a spot that seems pretty basic, but seven, eight years later, you're still finding new stuff. So there's this really weird depth about it as well, where you can be in the same environment, but like internally, your internal landscape is evolving and forming as well. And then you're interacting with the physical environment and coming up with new things. And that that in itself is really, really satisfying. Hey guys, before we get to this
1: week's episode, I wanted to let you know about an exciting development at Evolve Move Play. So we are bringing back our two-day traveling workshops. So that means one of our workshops might be coming out to a city near you, Or potentially you could reach out to us and bring us to a city near you. We did this for years. I started, when I started Evolve, Move, Play, I taught traveling workshops all over the world from 2013 to 2019. But after the birth of my youngest daughter, I needed to stay home more with my wife and my three kids, and so we stopped those. But now we have a really amazing staff of teachers who come up with me through the retreats of the last few years, and I myself had a little bit more freedom to travel. So we've got four upcoming dates here in the States and two dates in Europe coming up where you can come and train with us for just two days. That means it's going to be a lot easier entry point as far as cost and logistics for you to come and join us. So check out what's going on with our two-day workshops in the link down below. And we look forward to seeing you and sitting near you soon. Julian, welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast. Um, You know, as we were just talking about, you and I have kind of known of each other for many years, but you're kind of one of the granddaddies of the whole uk parkour scene Um uh, oh dear that would be <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: quite a setup but...
1: <laughs> Oh uh, man, now people won't necessarily know your name anymore because you how long have you kind of been stepped away from the parkour community
0: oh dear yeah i think um it's, oh let me have a think so probably probably not Training sincerely in parkour since around 2013, something like that. Like so, man, like a decade. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think since there were a few years where I was still kind of dabbling in it and doing mainly doing it by myself, to be honest, um, not participating in big groups and things. Um, but to be honest, a lot of it was just because of injuries and things and then getting sidetracked down different. Pursuits, physical pursuits, and um, but I, I think I was on and off, and then haven't really done it for the past, you know, four years maybe. So like no parkour for about four years. Yeah, about that
1: four years. Yeah. yeah. So I, I thought it'd be interesting to have a chat with you because I really admired the the early stuff that you did with the Cambridge Tracers and kind of the influence that you had on the on the community. And I think it's interesting to hear the stories of people who have uh, who've gone. You know, and done other things with their lives and kind of what their experience of parkour was and how it impacted them. And you also have a lot of insight into the world that like how parkour became what it is and how it's changed over the years. And my particular interest on this is really on the philosophical side of parkour, which I think is something that um that was a lot more important actually early on in some ways Mm. and it is in many ways forgotten. And I think, uh, yeah, you might have some insight into that. And then I think even your career choice, I'm curious if that was influenced by the philosophy of parkour. Mm. So yeah, um, that's kind of where I want to go. Um, so let's, uh, let's start with that. Like how did, how, what was important to you about parkour when you found it? You were in your mid-teens when you discovered parkour?
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I was 16, and it was 2003, um, and basically it was Jump London, the first airing of Jump London. And there's progressively less people that I know who started parkour because of Jump London. It's yeah. uh, I don't know, if actually kind of newer practitioners even know about it I'm not too sure but so. it was the thing that really yeah it was it was really the thing that brought parkour from France and exported it out of France um, and so I saw it I saw like an advert for it on the TV and I remember just walking into my living room and seeing some I didn't even I couldn't even tell what it was if I'm honest it was like I had some shadows going across this across the screen and a couple of really cool jumps and it just absolutely like fixated me Um, and I made a note of when it was going to air and put it in my diary, which is like the most organized I'd ever been up until that point. And then sat down and watched it. And it was Sebastian Foucault, uh, Jerome, um, and it was Johan Vigoro as well. The three main guys who were, you know, like the founders really off par with Yamakaze and David Bell and everybody else. And so I I think there's... I think in your life there's often you can identify like things that are counted on what like one hand that kind of really smack you in the face and resonate very strongly with you. And seeing that documentary did that to me because I just couldn't figure out what it was. It seemed like something where there was no rules and so much freedom. Um and at the time, I think being a sixteen year old um, like teenager things like ninjas and swap teams and all that kind of stuff was like the coolest thing I could ever think of. And it had a lot of elements of that as well. And they often spoke about Dragon Ball Z, Bruce Lee. There were so many the Venn diagram of all the different disciplines that crossed over with parkour was was all really exciting for me. So um yeah, I kind of started off that and the first thing that I said my dad had a treadmill and garage and I was like, right, I'm I'm going to go and do a run. So like I got on the treadmill and I, I tried to run one mile. I can't even remember if I need it. Um, <laughs> and I was like, right, I've, I've started now. This is the beginning. <laughs> um, and then it was just a case of kind of going to schools and going on roofs of schools and spending loads of time trying to jump on and off picnic benches for months <laughs> on end. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, uh, and- of calming the picnic bench, that was, that <laughs> yeah. was real that was like an initiation Yeah, and if you did a length wave it was like, whoa <laughs> yeah. never mind width waves so yeah, that was kind of um. so it's weird, yeah. I don't know, I, th- I think you often don't know why you like things they just sort of call out to you um, and sometimes when when you try and describe why you like a thing, if you, if someone asks you, oh, why do you like your wife? It's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of, think... it's kind of difficult to, yeah. Um, I'm not saying Bark was like, <laughs> like my wife, but just it's, it's difficult to say why I was so attracted to it. Um, but I just was. And, and obviously there was a small contingent of people that eventually did grow who were attracted to it in the UK, at least. Gosh, I, um,
1: so I was already teach. I'd already been doing martial arts since I was like six I was going to say, man, how about you? Yeah. yeah. Six years old was when I started martial arts, and I had had a big transformative experience in martial arts. And then I got into gymnastics after the 1996 Olympics. Um, and then I kind of did that off and on. So I, was, I had become a teacher of gymnastics. And then I saw en avance du Jours at VU. And that was the one that sparked it. My older brother actually showed it to me.
0: Is that the one where David Bell is... Uh... Just looking really badass. He's got his it's kind of Asian music in the background, and he's it starts in, in the play. dark, and you can it's see his back, right? Yeah. it's like, Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's actually
1: in the jazz right. right. So he's like doing acrobatics and he's doing martial arts, tricks. right? It's surreal, and then then it cuts to fairly so r- reused footage from Speed Airman, but uh, that's right. That was real for me, man. And it was interesting because I started I just, standing on rails in between classes. Uh, just like bouncing on rails in between classes. Um, but I had a, a buddy who, we weren't even really friends at that point. We just knew each other through the uh, the uh, adult open, the adult gymnastics classes. And he was already doing mm. parkour like stuff. So I told him about it. And he, um, he went and looked at the videos and then went to the office and grabbed my number and called me and told me to come out and do stuff with him. And he actually already had climbs and jumps and routes all around the city. Ideal. <laughs> that was really yeah, one of those barrels yeah. it was like you know you're uh, you know the Danielle bot yeah.
0: particular era <laughs> there she <laughs> <laughs> take me out and chill yeah, yeah. that's great to have a bit of a template because that yeah. was the that was a weird thing just not having uh, having videos like yeah. that um, Speed Airman and things you are looking at it thinking what the hell you couldn't fathom how that was done and then the gap between <laughs> where I was then and that was like yeah. An unimaginably big chasm that you didn't really know how to cross. So that's great that you had someone. Yeah, there's a bit more. Yeah. Yeah,
1: It's it's. I think it's very interesting. It's kind of like an under... Like, nobody really talks about this phenomenon that there were, like, people who kind of did parkour, who never stopped doing parkour as kids, mm-hmm. you were just sort of around. Because my understanding is, like, Danny, uh, Danny, Danny didn't really uh, start doing parkour because of parkour. He started doing parkour no. weirdly because of
0: Capoeira. Yeah, I think his his whole thing was he saw he saw a guy in the streets around his neighborhood do I think it was a wall flip Yeah, I think, but it was definitely one type of like aerial flip, and then he was like, "Oh, I'm going to do that," and then uh, yeah, as you say, he started doing capoeira and stuff, and just because the first time I saw Danny's videos, it was his level was. Yeah, absolutely. just so far advanced and nobody could really figure out why because everyone else had only just found out about the single parkour It was just doing he was just doing it anyway which was just insane yeah um yeah mm-hmm. and there were a few people like that actually i remember in cambridge there was another guy um who because <laughs> everyone needed a street name. his name name was nemo before the movie uh, and again this was one of those just hyper athletic kids had never done um gymnastics or uh, as far as i know any athletic background but was doing backflips off telephone boxes wall flips and would just just learn stuff on concrete um and and there were a few of these weird characters knocking them up um yeah it was crazy but being like a normal human that that did not come easily to me (laughs) yeah Yeah,
1: i think i've heard the same story about olin vorslav that like Mm, yeah yeah community found him in that playground right i'll like, start doing yeah. parkour and then they found this freak doing his thing in the playground who was better than any of them would ever be
0: i <laughs> doing just like doing it for the sake of doing it not even any ulterior motives i'm just gonna do this
1: it's like really <laughs> so i think that I, I actually asked sebastian about that about like let's say like every kid starts doing parkour Mm-hmm. some some people just never give it up. But why was it that that group was able to take it from from being a thing that these weird, feral people do? yeah, you yeah you got a whole community organizes around that could then be named and picked up by kids all around the world. I think that's just such fascinating kind of anthropological question. like my theory is that it has to do with the way that, um, but they were all like kind of from from minority backgrounds living in the Bambas of Paris, right? Uh, but Seb, Seb doesn't like that theory, so. Um. Oh, really?
0: I know that um, it, I, I think David's father had like a really, he must have had a really big driving force as well, because I think there was, I mean, you, you never really know these things, but reading and hearing from other people, it seemed like he was, what, at least they were trying to emulate, and so there was this kind of North Star that seem to carry him forwards, and then other people yeah i guess gravitated around david in a similar way so um and, and then trying to express all of the skills that he's learning through Parker in a practical way by joining the fire brigade in the military and all those kinds of things um yeah it, it's, it is a weird one though um how it how it did get exported because there must be a lot of Kind of fledgling movements and things that just die out. You think about uh, Dogtown and Z Boys who started kind of skateboarding after not being able to surf, and they were just some dudes attaching wheels to their surfboards, and that could have just been like, what are we doing? But yeah. yeah, that's another thing that just now look at skateboarding. So it is odd the kind of conspiracy of uh, events that lead to something like that, quite a countercultural movement springing up. It's yeah. cool, it's an interesting question. I mean you guys
1: uh uh I'm trying to remember, wasn't there like a building movement in
0: Cambridge that predated the parkour movement? Yeah, there was. There was. Yeah, the came I think they were just called the Cambridge Climbers. I'm good my memory's gonna be a bit hazy, but there there is a book that has been published mm-hmm. and it was in these guys were yeah, a lot of them were in academia at Cambridge. Mm-hmm. And I believe some of them were kind of not within that field as in that realm as well but it was around kind of i want to say certainly the early mid 1900s that sort of time and there's some really cool photographs of people up on iconic areas around the cambridge colleges doing like i remember there's a roof gap that we used to look at and then we, we found this photograph of a guy doing it in like 1910 or something ridiculous black and white and then it just made you made you think okay there's there's a lot of things that just aren't that new actually it's it's how things are packaged and and spread and and sort of communicated that is the new thing but some of these things have been done for a long time so it was cool to see that tradition in cambridge yeah. when we were there yeah i think it's a fascinating thing um let's let's
1: talk a little bit more about your background so you you know when i found your work you were or found your your training you were really attached to kind of like to, uh, to Owen Cobill, right? It was Jen and Owen. And the, the just like that. Members, <laughs> very serious. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which seems like a team name, but it, it was always just a few as first, I could tell. It's just on, uh, yeah, yeah. My nickname and his real name, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you guys kind of, like, how did you meet Owen? Did you know him before
0: you started parkour? Or? No, it was one of these uh friendships that you get from parkour. Um I didn't know him at all actually. So he, he lives in Cambridge as well. He lived in Cambridge. Um and I think we met through a guy who was already doing a bit of parkour a bit earlier than us. Um, but stopped very soon after we met basically. Um and I think there was a bit of urban free flow forums facilitating this as well. And um yeah we just we just hit it off man. Like uh we we spent a lot of time training together. We're at different schools, different, um, I guess, what would you call them, high schools at the time, sixth form colleges. Um, but one guy who will hate the fact that I mention it, but he needs a mention because he's a bit of a, he's an unknown character in Cambridge parkour's development. There's a guy called Christoph, um, which is, I mean, whether that's his real name or not is another thing, but it was this German guy who at the time, so me and Owen were, I think, 16 years old. He came over from Germany at the age of 17 and participate in like English language learning. And he had been training with, I think at the time he'd already trained with people like Joe Ego. Mm -hmm. Um, He'd trained with some of the French practitioners as well. Um, I don't think kind of the original guys, but you know, he, he basically came over with, this air of mystique about him um so we trained with him a lot and he he's he's really the genesis of things like landing silently what we what we tried to coin the cambridge stealth landing okay. <laughs> we were like we need a name for this move and um he he's got uh, he had a background in wushu martial arts uh, he studied with uh, different martial arts practitioners and things and so he brought all of this to to the Cambridge scene. we spent a lot of time with him. Um and and I think so much of Cambridge Parkour has to be credited to him because he 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 did just kind of takes under his wing and said, you know, you need to land quietly in order to protect your joints. Um you need to move through your environment without disturbing it and without um leaving a trace sort of thing and and all the different associated tenants that kind of spread through parkour, um, not just as a result of him or Cambridge, but just more generally, he was bringing up already all the way back then. So so yeah, we um, he, he was only around for a year, but then after that, me and Owen just yeah trained together a lot um, and travelled around and met Jason Matten um, and a lot of the other guys around London and that kind of surrounding area. Um, and of course, Phil Doyle came in when he was like 30. How uh, old were you back. when I Oh, I think I need to try and remember now. I think I was around. I think I was around seventeen, eighteen. Okay, something like that. Yeah, he's yeah around around seventeen, eighteen years old. Five years. Um, old. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, pretty much four or five years old. Yeah. Um, and it was Jason who he met Jason Matten in France and saw Jason doing a front flip, like a diving front flip at the beach onto the sand. And he went up to him and he was like, Well, what are you doing? And Jason kind of played with him, you know, did some parkour and some teaching and stuff and then asked where are you from? And Phil said, Oh, I'm from Cambridge. And he said, Oh, right, okay, well, I know a couple of guys there. So he introduced uh, Phil to us and um and yeah, just the growth and the speed at which Phil developed was was ridiculous like it was ridiculous man first yeah. first couple of years first year or two year and a half didn't really you know didn't really notice it and then suddenly i remember i think the day that i remember most vividly was there was a lache and um, from some scaffolding to landing on like a railing mm-hmm. and he was uh, he, he he just went up and did it and i was like oh, yeah, whatever i'll do that as well and i hung there i looked at it and i just thought Oh, actually, I need to think about this. Like, it's not just something that I can do. Um, and that was, I think it was only about, I don't know, 14, 15 at that time. And then he just, yeah, just shot. How it that's insane.
1: insane. Yeah. Special talents sometimes can come in and just read really the whole freaking world for you. Like I have-
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I...
1: I had this um, lache between two tree branches, and the second tree branch was really thick. Mm. So uh, it was like nine feet, um, and it took me like six months to get this lache. Damn. And yeah. So then I took my level three student group there, and I had this 11-year-old boy, Oliver, and he did it on his first try.
0: Don't just know. <laughs> Oliver, man. Out to make a man feel inadequate.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then and then later, he, Incredible. he did the swing to precision on it, which was he was the only person to ever do that. And he, at the time, he was 15. And he'd actually mostly stopped doing parkour. He was just skateboarding. Uh, really? He just, like, showed up. And yeah, he was, like, without training, without any weight training, without any specific jump training, he had, like, a 10 and
0: a half foot broad jump at, like, 16 years old. So outrageous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just take whatever credit you can for teaching, him. that's what <laughs> I'll do. Just cling to whatever you got.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm running into a few of these guys. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so you, you're training with. Oh, and that, that's really interesting about Christoph too. I was thinking about. Um, I just had a chat with Toby Seeger from uh, from Store. Oh yeah, that was Good. a great chat, and we were talking about how how uh, Hoteg influenced him,
0: right? And how tag's like yeah, really yeah. kind of this very influential character who like nobody yeah. knows. Um, I know, Yeah, it's just one of these like guy, these stealthy guys who's just like in the background developing the scene. Yeah, but Teg was 16,
1: and he kind of took Toby under his wing when Toby was 12. Mm. It's massive influence, and I'm just thinking about like how your whole idea of parkour was influenced by someone who was a year older than you, right? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? So it's kind of interesting how like that discipline brought out this this leadership and mentorship and very young men. And helping other, other young men, um, mostly at that stage it was all young
0: men, women. Uh, yeah. I guess you have a Flame, Liv. Who's yeah, that? yeah, Liv was that. Yeah, yeah, she was King, right but uh, by the there's not really many other girls at all. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, no, it's funny. Right. Yeah, I think, sorry man, um, I was just going to say, I think, Um, I, I don't know why it was that he, I think just, Coming from a formal martial arts background, having trained with certain people, he brings this kind of authority um, at the time. And we were just open to absolutely anything. We were just sponges, right? Anyone that we'd met, we, we, we'd just want to learn, we'd soak it up. And um, so, yeah, we were all ears when when he came. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that for those
1: early days of parkour, like if you had a, a gymnastics or martial arts background, you were, mm-hmm. you were light years ahead or B-Boy. <laughs> like Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 Caboeta. Um so that was my background, right? Like everyone was asking me to teach like within six months of like doing starting parkour because I mm. could do backflips and front flips and
0: all everything from doing gymnastics. That is light years ahead at that time. I remember when someone was it Concept of Dash, some guys in is it Netherlands or somewhere in some Scandinavian country did like a, a palm spin. Yeah. And um, published a video of that, it blew everyone's mind. And then the wall spin was next. And yeah, just the the edges with a boundary with when within which everyone was practicing was so small. And someone would like edge it out and he'd go, oh and then and eventually it just kind of just to blow up like this. Um but it didn't take much for someone to like really stand out at that time. That was, was great. <laughs> The stuff that's considered really
1: basic now, or, you know, yeah, a lot of young men who can, you know, uh, a lot of young men and women who can do a corkscrew, you know, um, at I mean, you know, 13 years old, it's like a, a base trick, for, you know, like I, I remember I was like, y'all in the room could do it. was <laughs> it. Ridiculous. But, you know, another skill that I think that I've actually been working on a lot recently is just dialing my climb up, right?
0: Um, oh, yes, yes. Fun memories of just doing climb ups <laughs> there. Great. So in the early days of parkour,
1: I I just destroyed my elbows doing climb ups. So mm. I couldn't couldn't put the 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 work in to do it. And then when I went out and in nature, I, I realized that like in nature you never find a flat wall with a flat ledge on top. It's like crazy. everything in nature is either much harder to climb up on or much easier. Very
0: rarely you find that like exactly climb up level. Yeah. And it's mossy and all this kind of stuff. Whereas we'd be in town, being like, "Wow, we need to find the perfect lip so you can do a all-in-one climb up." Sort of thing. that that British brick is really nice, man. When it comes to climbing, <laughs>
1: super sweet. <laughs> so, um, <it's>, that's
0: <laughs> funny what you start to appreciate. It's like yeah. all your friends are going out, getting kind of drunk and doing whatever, and you're like, "Oh man, this is great." <laughs> the texture on this wall is fantastic. Like, what am I doing, <laughs>
1: aficionados? Urban wall. <laughs> the uh so yeah so so anyways i for a variety of reasons basically um i've ended up training in this uh indoor ninja gym a lot recently and they've got some moles that are great for climbing so i'm like okay i'm gonna dial the in. finally just like it's been a it's been a process man like i like i i started really working on it last last year and then i took the summer off because i was outdoors teaching and then uh mm-hmm. And then I got back into it this fall, so I've taken my climb up from like two seconds down to one point four seconds. I'm trying to get it down to like one second flat for the climb up.
0: That's that is rapid. Yeah, that's a big, it's, it's big drop in the time. I don't even thing is I can't even. I've never measured the time of a climb up, so I have no idea. It, it sounds fast, basically. <laughs>
1: like it's all right. I, I think all the good guys now are like between one point one and two, you know, like they're around one second flat for a climb.
0: Up. Is this how? Uh, granular things have got now that we have standards, yeah. you know, you got bench and deadlift yeah. standards, the body weight. weight. We've now got that for climb ups. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think Interesting. you're saying, oh, I'd like to.
1: Parkour athlete at this stage, like you have to have like a standing broad jump, you know, near 10 seat, you have to be able to do a climb Interesting. up. Interesting. In around a second. Um, mm. That kind of thing. That's that's crazy. But uh, in the event, um, I was thinking about was like, I think that yours were some of the first my ups that I saw. That were bilateral straight up to like landing, you know, with relatively straight arms. Right? Everyone else was going chicken wing, elbow up, <laughs> elbow on, right? Yeah. Chicken wing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like first we we're doing, I don't know what you mean, yeah, yeah. It was like elbow, just go <laughs> there,
0: push down. And then- how about muscle up, chicken
1: wing? Whoa. And then there was about like this, right? Where the mm-hmm. know, touches, but one- kind On of a front crawl- yeah, one shoulder goes up first. Tyson Cheka, who was the guy I uh, co-founded, yeah,
0: Tyson, yeah, yeah, yeah. He
1: was an Muslim. extraordinarily powerful climber, and he could do those asymmetrical climb ups really, really fast. Like there was a debate number about whether it was going to be faster to do the asymmetrical one shoulder first
0: versus the yeah lateral. And then a lot of his videos, he used to wear. If I remember correctly, like. Jeans, used to training jeans and just, uh, just doing this huge, like really fast, powerful runs in jeans. Like, yeah they a built different in America, man. Like,
1: that yeah. <laughs> was definitely built. Yeah oh. do you do you remember that? Do you remember getting that skill and like was that a unique thing in the community?
0: Um, yeah. yeah, I definitely. I was quite. I think I was quite consciously trying to get better at climb ups. Um, I don't know why. I don't know what kind, kind of. I think, I think we got us all so obsessed with the micro skills of a lot of the, at that time, limited inventory of parkour moves that climb up seemed to be an obvious bottleneck to try and sort of improve. Um, and so we went through periods of doing climb ups in a weighted vest, kind of try and do 50 in a row or something. But probably, you know, looking back, substandard way to kind of get more power for a single repetition movement. But at the time, it was just greasing the groove and doing it so much. And then I got really obsessed with a one-arm climb up for a while okay. um, and somehow didn't get tendinitis, which was amazing. But I managed, to—I not on a fully, fully flat, but like a slight lip and um, sort of, it was a real chicken wing load, and then a dip and that sort of thing. But um, I just, yeah, I just had spent of, <laughs> a lot of time uh, doing a lot of climb-ups, like a big opportunity cost for other things in my life, I suppose. But it was <laughs> it was something that, uh, yeah, we, we did, we, we kind of grilled each other on and took the piss out of each other if we thought something was sloppy with a climb-up. Um, and because Cambridge at the time had a lot of development and construction going on. There was often scaffolding all over the place. So we were really blessed to have tons of scaffolding, really out of public view and in quite private little areas that you could just spend eight hours doing muscle ups and pull ups and climb. Um, ply- I don't even know if, what the real names you know, the plyometric oh, <laughs> di- dinos. How can I forget? Yeah, dinos, I'm talking about. So dino pull ups um, and that sort of thing. So I think just. Yeah, just it was just volume and just enjoying it really. And then you know, when you start to think you're getting quite good at a thing, you just do it more and more and more. Yeah, yeah. So probably to to the neglect of other skills that I should have been training. Um uh, but yeah, it was quite a it was quite a deliberate thing on our part, I think at that time. So I'm curious what time period that was, because like I
1: think around two thousand six in the States, two thousand six, two thousand seven. I can remember mm-hmm. basically there were three guys who could do clean climb ups. It was just Tyson, Levi, Milenberg, and Ryan Ford. And mm-hmm. it was very fascinating because they were trying to teach other people to do it, and they were. And I noticed that what they were cueing people to do was actually not what they were doing. So, oh, interesting. Nobody had, yeah, nobody had articulated the role of the swing leg. Everyone was telling
0: right, coming out to get your momentum up. Yes. Yeah instead of going oh. in the lower leg. I think they were just trying to sabotage everything else <laughs> so they could keep the top spot. Like, <laughs> the both legs is crazy.
1: Yeah, but I think that you, you, like, you, at really talented athletes, they just adopt smart problem solving, but they don't necessarily have... Oh, absolutely. Necessarily know, they can't describe exactly what they're actually doing a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, so I like, think I, I was, that was something I realized way later, seeing different people and realizing Teaching a thing and doing a thing are such different skills, I and mean, being able to articulate those steps. Yeah. It's because you just assume, oh, you can do it that way. Why don't you teach people? You're just underappreciating the absolute difficulty in trying to teach something like that. They're not, they're not knowing
1: the how and knowing how to help someone else are not the same thing at all. Yeah, no, that's nuts. Yeah. So, so obviously, one of the big kind of themes of the early days was the uh, the war between the purists and the uh, <laughs> freestyle parkourists. Um, how did that all develop? Like you said, you met Owen initially through Urban Free Flow.
0: I'm trying to remember now. It was, um, I'm pretty sure it was through a guy who was training in Cambridge at the time, but I can't remember whether we had a little sub kind of Cambridge. Forum on urban free flow or something. I think we did. Um, And people, we did, yeah, we did attract and get a few other practitioners through that. But um, yeah, no, I I can't remember the exact way that we met, to be honest. Um, But yeah, the the whole freestyle versus pure parkour thing was really interesting. I, I I don't know what to kind of think about it, really. I remember, so I remember that, free running was how parkour was introduced to us via Jump London. That was how it was packaged. And then the more we sort of do you remember parkour.net? The forum? Yeah. Yeah. So So that was back in the day. Yeah, fantastic forum. Really, really good. Um, And I think so many of the concepts and things that I learned was through that. And so like free running was the thing that it was sold as and then started to learn a bit more about um parkour as the original discipline. Um probably owe quite a bit to urban free flow with that, to be honest as well, because at the time it was a it was a really cool, really positive kind of group and organization. And in a lot of the UK's growth early on has, has a fair bit to, you know. It owes a fair bit to urban free flow at the time. but then obviously it went quite pathological quite quickly. Um, it's funny to think uh,
1: in uh, some way Paul Corkery was a positive uh, contributor to the uh, right World parkour community because I mean, urban free flow wasn't just for you guys. like that's where we all found each other on in the Washington Park.. Yeah, we went to the American subforum of uh, that's right, urban free flow and Washington Parkour. so when I and there was a Washington forum. So, when I first started in 2005, there were six guys who were communicating about parkour in that little forum. More than enough. Yeah. And so I went down to Seattle to meet up with these six guys. One of them promptly broke his leg trying to do a front flip after Dan and I did them.
0: Uh, so brilliant. We were down by, you know, <laughs> what's one? <wrong? laughs> some percentage, <laughs> is quite sick. But
1: 70 head of the community <laughs> disappeared after the first jam. Uh, and then we found Tyson, who was down in Portland, and he came up and, uh, you know, became the, kind of the charismatic leader in a lot of ways. But uh, yeah, it was like that. was. And then, then we were like, oh, no, this is, we don't want to be associated with with Urban Fleet Flow anymore. So we created the Washington Parkour Forum. But by that time, like, the TCT Forum already existed. Did TCT precede Urban Parkour? Because I feel like it was somehow like a collaboration almost of you guys and Jerome. Yeah,
0: I think there was some merging that happened, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember now. <laughs> you hey, were the TCT. You yeah. don't remember. <laughs> I don't really remember, dude. <laughs> but yeah, no, we had a forum, yeah. And uh yeah, that became merged with Car if I, if my memory serves me correctly. Mm-hmm. Um It was like so that was Netparkour.net.
1: Right, be first. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the first thing I found when I searched parkour, and it was it was uh-huh. it was that was really important to me because like you saw David, and I mean mm-hmm. it's amazing to go back and look at what David accomplished in the nineties, right? Like that jump that he does in um in uh
0: in the rush hour commercial, the big building to building jump in that, like Kitty with God. the standing gainer as well. Yeah, at some point in it off the rooftop. Yeah. Yeah, all week. of that. Yeah, but that, that gap it's running, that running gap just, jump, I I
1: don't know that anyone has done a bigger gap jump to this day.
0: It is, it is phenomenal. It is insane. I mean, Owen, actually, we're talking, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And I think I texted him just to kind of emphasize the brevity of life and our mortality. And I said, you know, man, we started parkour almost coming on 20 years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, you bastard. Um, and I think, yeah, that sparked a conversation about a video that came out, I don't know if you remember this one, of David Bell doing a running cat pass arm jump in like a multi-level car park. Yeah. And he was, I think he was, what, mid-30s at the time? That kind of age? If I, I might be wrong, but that's in my memory. And I was thinking about that movement and how I am now and realizing that his longevity and his ability to perform at such a ridiculous level. And he, he was notorious for not really breaking any bones as well. I remember in interviews, he's like, oh, I've really broken a bone in my life. Yeah, And to be the first guy to be doing all of that and to still be so ahead of the curve is, is just bonkers, but uh, yeah. I think it's a totally different topic, but I think that's part of the reason it's such a shame that he didn't take a more central role internationally, because I I guess just his personality, he just just didn't kind of want that or gel with that. But I think so many people would have been behind him and on board. And I know there were things like, uh, uh, not WFF, some of the parkour.org and stuff yeah there were a few different kind of I things I like started kind of to for you was a uh, power you're thinking of power pa- power that's it yeah yeah parkour worldwide association or something right. like that yeah yeah um but yeah no you're right it's it's crazy how he just sustains himself I'd love to know what he's doing now if he's still training but yeah this is
1: bananas start with having a dad who's the best athlete in all of france that's all you need. yeah <laughs> it's a good start um yeah i but you know i brought that up i mean it's, it's it's really fascinating what he accomplished but also like it it made it hard to think that you could do parkour when you saw his video like probably jump britain or jump london was a bit more approachable like Johan and Jerome, mm-hmm. they were they were not they didn't seem quite as much like superheroes as uh, yes. we did. So I went to litparkour.net and I saw like videos of young teams of parkour athletes who'd done like a year of parkour training. And was like, oh, it's not just like jumping between building and doing gators. It's like vaulting <laughs> over rails and stuff. And that made it so much more approachable. And so that was, that was where I started. So I saw the parkour net, and then there was urban free flow. And then I found you guys in the TCT forms and I didn't really interact with the TCT forms much, but that's when I started becoming aware of, of like the fact that there was a big gap between what had been practiced in France and what was becoming popularized in the English speaking world and became sort of attached to, like, I want to know what, what the actual discipline is, you know, coming from a martial arts background, it was like, I was already aware of how commercialization distorts disciplines, and like stuff gets diluted and turns mm-hmm. into bullshit. And so I wanted to to get to the source of it, and then, and then that was around. That must have been late in twenty. And I think that was late in like two thousand six, or maybe even early two thousand six. You guys, yeah. and, uh and
0: Jerome. It was Jerome Pinard, right? From yeah, I think uh, so. Uh, yeah. And uh, Erwin Lacour was involved I'm quite heavily in that as well. He went on to the uh, Mob mat and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. He just came out of the woodwork. He's like, who's this guy? Like, he's yeah. doing all this crazy stuff, talking about quadrupedal movements and all this kind of stuff. That was mind blowing as well. It was such a funny parkour. Him. You remember his swimming parkour? <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot about this. Yeah. That
1: thread was just enormous. <laughs> I, uh, can't park be swimming. Oh, he's talking about, <laughs> I, uh, I loved it. I, um, uh, I've been getting into canyoneering. I think it's like a really cool, like edge space for parkour athletes to go in and explore. Mm-hmm. And we have some really great canyons here in the Northwest with the big mountains. So I, uh, I found this spot where you can, mm-hmm. um, like jump between two boulders, vault off the second boulder, drop into a Creek, um, Cl- drop into a pool, climb up out of the pool, jump into another pool, swim across it, and water slide down into the next pool. Do another jump ride, another jump, and then another water slide. That sounds, sounds brilliant,
0: man! You've got the you've got the environment for the there. The, the, here I'd be like uh, sliding into shopping trolleys and the bottom <laughs> of the rivers and stuff. Trust me, yeah. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Yeah, you got to get up to the peaks or uh, the the yeah. one uh, there uh, to whales That's right. Oh, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure there is. Yeah, canyoning and things. Yeah, uh, I've seen actually uh, one of my students, online students right now, is doing some exploration
1: of the canyons up in the Lakes District. Um, oh, super cool. Okay, when we go up there, I can introduce you and get you get you up with Charlie. He's found some pretty amazing canyons. Oh um, yeah, man. Yeah, Ben Atkinson, another one of my friends up there, has found like tons of waterfalls like we have here, and some pretty sweet cliff dives. Damn, that's rad. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. So yeah, so I posted that and I was like, "Is swimming parkour?" Was the title? Um, and I like,
0: yeah, less than and another one, one says, one. says um, <laughs> "Get the joke," but it still made me laugh. <laughs> another one was, uh, "What?" <laughs> somebody was on a mission to try and justify why flips could be parkour, and the use case was, "What if you're running away from?" obviously a lion or someone trying to knife you or something and there's (laughs) there's like a shoulder high wall but it's got barbed wire on the top of it yeah and there's a there's a drop on the other side and they've gone to the lengths i think of kind of sketching it out giving some measurements i was like okay as a kind of premise this is pretty specific but let's go with it and i think that was the one time when people could agree that probably doing a dive over this yeah. thing that's too high to jump over you can't bolt it and then once you've done the dive you might you might as well do a front somersault was probably pretty reasonable but that's when people were so including myself was so blinkered to thinking it's not about the kind of the intention or the intent of the movement it's more What move are you doing? Oh, you're pressing X. That means it's a front flip. No, that's not allowed in parkour, which I think eventually people started to see past and think, why why are you doing the movement? It's not that it's because it's a specific movement. It's kind of what, in what, in service of what? Are you trying to reach a place or get away from something? That was kind of what it boiled down to, really. It's funny. I think there's a much simpler use case for that, the flip in parkour. Like, oh, yeah,
1: hedge, right? Hedge is not bad Yeah you need a bit of a Well You need an object that you have to get Up and over Uh huh That you can't Ball because it's too soft
0: With a bit of a drop On the other side Otherwise you might as well Just dive roll it Unless you've got Unless you've got Beastly front somersaults
1: Yeah I mean uh, There's a lot of good yeah. Worker athletes now Who so I think they're gonna They're gonna Yeah I'm sure there are Run faster Eat that for breakfast Yeah, yeah. Dive, uh, dive flip Or dive Dive side over it Um or just run through the damn thing.
0: Just. <laughs> I think it's more efficient than A hundred kilo frame, just straight through it, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Snowplow it. <laughs> hey,
1: uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite clips in, uh, I can't remember if it was in Rage Fruit Bling or like where, uh <laughs> uh Tags running through and you see the shopping cart and you expect him to jump over it. He just <laughs> runs <laughs> shouldered it out of the way. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that, that was efficient. Good good point, Dick. Um Yeah, I remember like, all these arguments that treated parkour as if like you had to be expressing... Oh, one second. Don't worry. So, as I was saying. I remember all these arguments where people treated this idea that you had to be going from A to B as efficient as possible as something that you had to be doing whenever you were practicing parkour. <laughs> Which I mean, oh, because like that is absurd. Like nobody's actually practicing like this. And if you weren't yeah. practicing like this, like it really wasn't parkour. And It was like no, no, no. it's a big deal. Yeah, man. it was like no. You. So I when I I had to when we formed parkour visions, I was like, the Wikipedia definition of parkour
0: is not sufficient, and we have to have a word. Just out it. of whack. That was that was such a chew on, wasn't it? Trying to. Trying to get some consensus for what yep. is parkour, but I'd, I'd actually forgotten how much of a how much of a hassle and headache that whole thing was. <laughs> I think, I think when Urban Free Float, or more specifically Paul Corkery and Easy decided to come up with um, freestyle parkour, that's when I'm pretty sure that's when me and Owen were just like, you know what, just, whatever, man. <laughs> like, we're just going <laughs> to do what we've been doing and just not care about why we're doing it or the rest of it, and I think we got just so got so fed up with the whole thing. And I know a lot of people wouldn't say him. Just started say "Oh, we're just doing movement. We're doing movement." Da, da, da. And that was before Edo Portal and all that kind of stuff. so like, "Oh, we're just moving." And and obviously, Tag with his rage, froubling, and people yeah, yeah. just thought, "Fuck it, you can't be bothered with the name for this thing anymore," because it's just, yeah. That was such a funny thing for me
1: because I remember like getting so mad at the just movement people. It's like this is such a floppy just like the most like. I'm You'll see, it's just I just bullshit. I've ever heard, like I heard Danny <laughs> being like, "Oh, it's just moving, man." I was like, "Oh, fuck off!" And then like just brought some logs around, man. and everything's moving, moving, moving. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Um, yeah." So I was like, "Well, okay, maybe I give Danny too much of a hard time." um yeah. <laughs> but uh, I I thought this is really funny with the freestyle parkour thing. Like, so there was free running and there was parkour. Are they the same thing? Are they a different thing? Right? Um. Then Seb is the guy who forms the the name free running, but then that's not really what he practices. It's like when we, with the whole community
0: starts calling free running, isn't it all what Seb's into or practices? Yeah, 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 and it was probably some not political, but some some other reason that the name was formed, and then people get so hung up on it, like oh no, no, no. Oh, so he, it doesn't matter. He, he just n- use that name because it's a uh, it's more. It was just easy to remember the for parkour with spring speakers.
1: Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. Was, uh, was the producer of of uh, the yeah. London, I think, who was like, "Yeah, we we got to have an English name," and said it came
0: up with freerunning. That's my understanding. Freerunning, yeah. <laughs> and then people form their entire identity of it and get like yeah. down the rabbit hole. It's it funny. So then, then,
1: then, and then, 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 you know, Urban was like we've got to announce him We've solved it. We're gonna like get yeah. all the problems in <laughs> the community. It's gonna list be- red. Put this to bed. Freestyle parkour. Universal hatred, right? <laughs> if it's just like, no, just flip the title Yeah, we Just, <laughs> could have like, gone down at you words. Yeah. So then, then fast forward, right? Years pass, and parkour, uh, competitive formats of parkour come out. And like, right away, basically we, we kind of go into a speed division, like time trials and a style division. And, um, and so we so like the guys from uh from Origins Parkour uh s- start having these, you know, they they have eventually skill, speed, style. And that becomes first the North American parkour championships, then it's sport parkour league. And uh and they're like, Yeah, we don't like the term free running. It's like we should just call it freestyle parkour. <laughs> <laughs> fine. fine. <laughs> it's fine. And I was like, guys, do you do you not remember? When that was for- Full circle.
0: <laughs> oh man. Maybe he was on something. Maybe easy. Man, maybe we missed the yeah, trick. I mean, I think at that point we should have given him the benefit of the doubt.
1: Yeah, I think at that point easy had uh well I think it actually makes a sense in context now. It's actually a competitive format that people do.
0: It's the freestyle yeah. of parkour. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, but at the time Yeah. It's just too 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 many, too many uh just definitional like wankery to it, it was it was it, at the time it was kind of uh it was not addictive but you did fall into certain camps and find yourself being no. your like and I remember when people were um printing t shirts with anti competition and anti competition. I was involved in that and, and yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. You, you had to copy the main architects so the main architect oh, yeah.
1: pro parkour anti competition. Were me, Erwin LaCour, and Duncan Germain, TK17, TK17.
0: <laughs> that was not, um, not one of my proudest moments. Um to be fair, though, that you know, at the t- in hindsight, it's, you think, yeah, whatever. But at the time, it feels like an existential crisis that you've been through as a community. Is yes.
1: well, it's a weird, it weirdly, I mean, in a sense, it hasn't. It hasn't gone away. Like, we've matured. There's more nuance and understanding of it now, but like, we still have fake trying to hone in on what we're doing.
0: And uh, I've heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And it does matter. It does matter because, yeah, it really does. Because what, yeah, what are you trying to transmit? And the original parkour that was sort of um, transmitted from France in. You know not a very efficient way. It was more mysterious Chinese whispers about being really efficient and and reaching areas really fast and speedily and all this kind of stuff. That that was something that people really treasured, I think, at the beginning, because it had a real obvious um goal to it. It was all and it had a lot of parallels with martial arts, which which um gave sort of a framework for people to practice within yeah. and if you don't have that you're you're a group of people going out and hanging around building sites and just sort of jumping on and off things um, if you look at it as a pedestrian you think what the hell are these kids doing but internally you have a framework in your mind um, that's guiding you it's kind of it's when you adopt any craft you basically you, you get this map in kind of Put onto the world in front of you with these little bright spots, and suddenly, and I remember it was, it was the classic thing, wasn't it? Oh, you know, a railing becomes your um obstacle that you can do a vault over, and a building becomes your playground. Parkour. And it it sounds really corny, but it is anything that you do. If if you're a carpenter, you'll start to appreciate trees and how they are formed and the different qualities and characteristics, and you'll see the world through that lens. And then if you're doing parkour, at the time I'd see the world through the lens of I, and it was, and people spoke about it as if it was like a psychiatric condition. And you'd be walking with people, and suddenly someone would go, like, "Oh man, what? What if you? Oh, what if you got there? And do a cat pass there?" Da, da, da. And then that would just spark off some challenge, and you'd be there for four hours when you're just trying to go to Tesco to buy some lunch or something. Um, so it, it, the reason that it matters is because you're implanting these kind of frameworks into people's brains. Um, For them to practice through. So if if you get it wrong, then you get a different product, a different intention from the practitioners. Um and I, you know, I think there's a lot of utility to saying, open it up. Movement is just whatever you want it to be, and incorporate everything. And I think ultimately that's totally fine. But I think when you're starting out on something, and I think the, the benefit for me was that you have to have some framework and, and guardrails to kind of guide you down a path of development otherwise you're spinning your wheels um yeah so so yeah i think i don't know what the state of things is now but i know figs uh, you know peripherally yeah, is, I'm is a contentious issue i don't know that much either in a way because
1: i mm-hmm. kind of like created my own sandbox like I've i've never tried to like Nice. So I worked with Erwin on the development of Moonat back in 2007 2008. Oh, cool. Yeah. One of the big points of conflict between us was that he had decided that he wanted nothing to do with the parkour community. He he yeah. wanted to separate Moonat perceptually from parkour as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and I was like, that's just disingenuous. Like. <laughs> Mm. Like most mm. of the skills you're teaching are literally just taken straight from parkour, and you're George Habbou and all that, and the yeah, it's, and it's just there, but like I, I don't know the the full story of how, but like obviously, you know, there was a point at which he was really picking up from and inspired by, and trying to emulate, trying to learn from, you know, and I mean. I've heard that, you know, he's trying to claim that he was there with the original guys at, you know, private advantage. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Obviously it had an influence. And so to me, the 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 attempt to sort of separate movement from parkour is really disingenuous. And so when I was developing Evolvement Play, I was always like, It's it's parkour as a base code plus these other things that I want to bring in, right? Um okay. parkour taking back to nature plus martial arts plus plus play research plus whatever. Um and I always wanted to maintain that connection with it. But for a long time, it was like most of the parkour community wasn't interested in going in nature with me. And my, the clients I was approaching or I was attracting came to me via Edo or via Mugnat. Um And so I kind of lost touch with what was happening and the dynamics of the community in a lot of ways. And then now I live in a small town where we have, like, we have a very interesting community of parkour athletes because we have, like, seven parkour athletes here in town who all have like a decade plus of experience so we'll Mm -hmm. go into the ninja gym we all meet at the ninja gym and it's like pretty insanely high skill group group of guys yeah but there's like not really a young community right like it's just and it's been this group for a long time it's nice in a way i mean Mm -hmm. you want you want it to be growing one of the reasons I wanted to bring up about the ninja gym about why I think it's like, we really do have to think about the sort of story that we set up and the, 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 the definitions actually do matter. Mm -hmm. It's like parkour has really struggled to attract a female practitioner base. You
0: know, like, in my it's true, isn't it? Yeah. Even even now, after yeah. twenty years. Yeah. Twenty years, man. Twenty years in, I would say that it's still
1: ninety percent male. Yeah. And I had kind of like I'm I'm okay with the idea that men and women are different, and that's okay. Like I don't I don't think yeah. it has to be equally distributed. And I don't mind being in spaces there where it's just guys. It's very comfortable and nice sometimes to just be like, Hey. But when I go out to do parkour, I get to just be in a space with other men, and that's nice. Um <laughs> But I do have two daughters, right? And I went to this yeah. ninja gym. And I realized that at the ninja gym, which is basically a weird version of parkour as far as I'm concerned, half the practitioners are female. And they have this whole huh. group of like 11 to 13-year-old girls who are super skilled. Like their lache level
0: is crazy. What, what do you think it is that's different about that then? Like, I, think, why?
1: I think it's because... Ninja Warrior had a financial incentive to pursue a female audience from the beginning. And they, and they did. Female athletes.
0: Yeah, they had good role models as well, didn't they? Because the females on that were yeah. just monsters, like absolutely yeah. beasts. I remember um, I competed
1: in 2011 at uh, mm. Ninja Warrior, and I met Casey Catanzaro um, at that, who was dating one of the guys from Tim's Freerunning at the time. And so I was kind of following her as she was doing stuff just, just a little bit. I was like, oh, I'm curious. When I saw her name pop up with ninja stuff, I was curious about it. And then she became the first woman to ever do the warp wall. She was five foot one. And um, and the, okay. you know, the, the television show did a huge feature on her, made a huge deal out of it, celebrated her accomplishing. And I think that... Attracted women in to Ninja Warrior, and then obviously Jesse Graf now is like this superstar in Ninja, and she's an incredible athlete. And so I think there's a way in which like you can see how that creates a perception and an incentive structure that creates these self reinforcing dynamics. And something about parkour created a self reinforcing dynamic that's made it not as attractive, Mm -hmm. and so. I bring that up as an example just because if something like Fig comes in and it takes over the competitive format and gets a lot of high prestige events running that are very diluted forms of parkour, it, it will have an impact on the community. It will have an impact on on what's incentivized, right? The the I, mean, I don't know if you've seen the the Fig competitions. They have
0: a, I. <laughs> I've seen like one or two clips and I was like, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) So they, I mean, it's kind of cool because
1: they have races where it's a, it's a one V one race where you're, Mm. where you have a series of parkour obstacles and you race to the, uh, to one side and back. Right. So in theory, like being able to set up a course that's the same on two sides that two athletes can go down
0: is exciting and cool, but the course is really boring. That's it. Yeah, that's what really struck me. It was like no imagination around the obstacles, or yeah, it was it was it was like uh, just a really beta version of parkour. If someone described it to someone over like Morse code, and then they have to make parkour, it's like well, I kind of. I think that's about what it is, um, but it just loses that richness. Um, yeah, and, and I guess there'll be. I, I suppose they'll be also optimizing for um, reproducibility and scalability and all of that stuff, rather than just making something really cool and authentic. And it's easier to have simple obstacles and and uh, get your branding right and all that stuff. So, you know, the the uh, the SPL competitions in com- mm-hmm. uh,
1: in comparison what the guys from Origins put on in like the the level of thought and detail and unique. Structure that goes into each speedrun that they give to the athletes, so much more compelling. It's so much more of an expression. Like, like it, it, when I look at the course that that the fig guys are putting on, I don't want to go train on it, right? does yeah, <laughs> not I, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this looks boring, yeah. right. When I see something origins put on, I think, if I was good enough, that looks incredibly fun should too. <laughs> I just
0: yeah. That's a really good heuristic, isn't it? Like, if you want to go there and train on the stuff, yeah. Or you want to be around the people who are doing it um, and involved in the competition, that that means that it has been put on with the right intention by the right people. And um, you have skin in the game and know what it's like from the athlete's perspective, and they're not just viewing it from the audience's, what they imagine the audience would want's perspective. Does uh, it doesn't sound like they've got that right? But if they,
1: you know, if they... If it's in the Olympics, right? And the athletes that they see win at the Olympics are are the athletes that the next generation is admiring. I and mean, this is this is this goes back to this other kind of topic that I think is interesting is okay, I keep thinking about how unique it felt to do parkour in the arts, right? Like how it was it did feel like life changing stuff, right?
0: It did. Yeah, it did. It really did. Um that's very true, and it's hard to kind of put your finger on it, really. I think that there's definitely something to be said for being around a an activity that is barely formed, and you're part of its evolution. That's super exciting. And I mean, there's not many things where you have the opportunity to do that, because most things in the world are pretty established. And a lot of things that do newly get formed are trash, because... Because most, most, th- you know, most new things suck. Yeah, most new things suck. It's hard to get something that's... Uh, like like most businesses fail. It's hard to get something that really stands the test of time and is really valuable and really good. And so to be involved in something like Parkour's development, um, insofar as seeing it come over from France and, and uh, kind of experiencing it growing up was super exciting. And And I think the the most some of the other really appealing things for me were i was always crap at like team sports and kind of crap at just conventional sports um in a (laughs) a really big way actually the only thing that i really enjoyed and gravitated towards in school was trampolining but i had no technical ability and and kind of gymnastics where the gym teacher was like a uh, he was like a part-time teacher. He just didn't care. He'd set up big things and allow us to jump off. So I didn't really get into anything conventional from a sports perspective. But then suddenly you've got this thing where um, there's, there's no real boundaries. Um, and as I say, it you kind of, rather than feeling like I'm a kid that goes to school or I'm a, a teenager that just goes to school and goes home and hangs out with my friends, when you put on your kind of parkour kind of like vision and then look around the rest of the world suddenly everything is applicable to you and everything is you can interact with um, and missions kind of announce themselves uh, and whether that's in nature or with an urban environment and one of the crazy things about it as well was the fact that you could train at a spot that seems pretty basic but like seven eight years later you're still finding new stuff. So there's this really weird depth about it as well where you can be in the same environment but like internally your internal landscape is evolving and forming as well and then you're you're interacting with the physical environment and coming up with new things and that that in itself is really really satisfying. Um and just I don't know man it's weird it's, it's I I can't really express why it was such a It did feel like a sort of unique thing to be able to do. Um, I think it's an edge, right? Like anytime you're in an edge
1: space, that's an exciting space to be in. Also, like Mm -hmm. what you're saying about how you can see the world in a certain way and then I can can continually get depth to it. Um, That reminds me a lot of like the the kind of research I've done on Jordan Peterson's work and John Bravakey's work about what gives meaning to life, like the meaning in life literature. Has Mm -hmm. Aspect of like, what, how are you able to connect with the world? And like you said, like a carpenter sees wood and sees what can be turned into, a parkour athlete sees the environment around them and sees the way they can interact with it. And it that is literally like just a source of meaning, like there's literally more meaning in the environment for you as you walk through it because you did part mm-hmm. of it, because you do part mm-hmm. of it. the other aspect of it that I've been thinking about is also specifically in reference to something Jordan Pearson was talking about recently is this idea that. Like we have these developmental stages and then we go through, you know, as children and then young adults. And like what we do as we're kind of moving away from being primarily defined by our relationship with our parents to primarily defined by our relationship, our peer groups is we want to adopt a group identity. Mm -hmm. As we, as we start to individuate, there's a messianic stage where you want to become, you want to save the world. And mm. part of what was happening with parkour was like the entire community was made up of people in the group identity stage and the Messianic stage Yeah, time. I can think of some people with others. yeah <laughs> and and so it it had this sense that, like this is who we are. It's central to our identity and it's world changing. both mm. it actually is really fundamentally valuable and important. And it was we did discover something like, It's really weird that there were skateboarding, surfing, snowboarding, (laughs) mountain biking, rollerblading, which are all basically locomotion through the environment, but nobody had developed the discipline of just locomoting through the environment without any, Mm. any, um, it, it, it didn't have any like large color cachet. Bouldering was a thing, right? Bouldering to me is just parkour on a very narrow set of obstacles, right? Yeah. 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 Limited set of obstacles. And so, like, yeah, it was like the most fundamental
0: form of play was somehow undiscovered and we discovered it. Um, mm, I think that's why, I think that must partly be why, thinking back, some of us, including me, were quite defensive about the utility aspect of parkour because that was part of the meaning. Yeah. Um, that, as you mentioned, the messianic stage, like, I need to save the world and do something valuable and bring value to the world. It's like, oh, be strong to be useful if i somehow if i train this weird niche activity i could be useful and so buying into that gave this extra layer of meaning which you know it's it's highly questionable when you look back on it in some ways uh, in the way that it was sold to me yeah. in so far as oh you can you can uh, like sprint up some lady's house and stop the burglar from breaking in or do something practical but It's more the psychological tools that you develop, which can be useful. Um, But I think that just the idea... Tools are not unique to parkour. No, they're not. Absolutely. That's right. And I think that's certainly... And thinking back to Owen, that's, that's what led me and Owen down different kind of activities to explore that. Because we started to realize that and became quite adamant that actually parkour wasn't special. So we went through this cycle of saying, oh, yeah, really unique. And uh, And then we came full circle and we were like, you know what? This is just another vehicle for self-development that things like, and we tried things like praying mantis kung fu, uh, (laughs) um, other things like weightlifting, uh, climbing, bouldering, um, and then going down the entire sort of conditioning side of parkour where people do in hell nights and, and that side of things as well. And my parkour practice started to morph more into just a, a just a physical challenge for the sake of challenge practice, which is including. Well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and I think that's why I became more and more convinced Sally. So that time that, you know, it's, Oh, it's just about movement because all of this stuff is a vehicle for self-development. Um, but, but your point of parkour being so stripped back is free. You just need your body. You don't even need any clothes or shoes, although that might get you in trouble. And um, and you just need a space. Even even with, like, if you really push it to its absolute limit without any obstacles, mm-hmm. you'd be quite hard pushed. But as we mentioned before, there's a depth of, finding new things within a certain space. And that is also part of the challenge of parkour. It's not, uh, what's the best environment I can find with all the coolest obstacles? It's no, what can you do with this environment that's in front of you? That's on you. And you take responsibility for for actually trying to create certain things and challenges. And and that was, I think, the best part about training with other people. And I sort of really miss later on when I was training because the, the speed at which you'd develop and co-develop some weird challenge or mission in partnership with one or two other people. And what started off as just some simple thing, like transformed into some horrendous kind of fingernail and a hang on challenge with this thing, you can't put your foot here, and if you do, then you have to start again and all that kind of stuff. Um, That, you do get that in other sports and other activities, but other activities and sports, Are more confined and more boxed in, I think. I still think that's true. Like, if you're playing football, cricket, um, and obviously gymnastics, traditional team sports. But
1: yeah, I I think that, like, what I would call the locomotive sports, they're very, like, obviously there's differences, right? Like, you know, there's a way in which challenges come together in. Like, one of the things about, like, Toby Seer was talking about how he really enjoys bouldering mm-hmm. right now because he yeah. feels like he can put 100% effort into bouldering. Whereas he feels like if he keeps putting 100% effort into the things that he excels at in parkour, he'll eventually kill himself. Just crash. Because mm-hmm. he's so at the
0: edge already, isn't he? Like, how much more? Yeah.
1: If he's if he's doing the biggest double Kong that he can do, like, he has to hold a little bit back in the tank because mm-hmm. he'd fall, Right? If he's you know going for a dyno and he's got pads underneath him like he can go a hundred a hundred percent so there there is a distinction there and i think like you know like you ski or you surf or your snowboard and your ability to like stay in a flow state for a prolonged period of time in a run is much higher than it is in parkour because we gas ourselves out much faster like when you're skiing you can get you know minutes on end of uninterrupted locomotive flow state right but like when you're doing parkour you can not express the high levels of scale for more than like 20, 30 seconds right sure. so there are distinctions i think parkour is really cool because of how how well you can kind of articulate the aspects of fear or you get to really look at your process mentally like i, I compare it to my experience with martial arts Obviously like fighting somebody who is big and skilled and powerful is scary, but you're reacting the whole time, right? You're you're not you're not having in some sense to choose to jump into the situation in the same way. You're just there. <laughs> it's like <laughs> once the punch is flying at you, you get to the, uh, reflexive aspect of your brain, which mm-hmm it's still an ongoing like dealing with fear and you have these really interesting moments of fear that happen, like if you're if you're pinned underneath somebody who's got side control on you and they're just a huge dude and your
0: breath is getting compressed out. Dude, of I started I, I signed up to freestyle wrestling in September. Uh I got injured. Um I'm like two months out of it now, but I had never experienced fatigue and awesome. pressure like I have in something like that form of grappling. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, and as you say, you just you just in kind of brainstem, get me the hell out of here mode, and just yeah, it all goes out the window.
1: And and, and it's interesting too because like so you, with with wrestling, I think usually like the time spans are very short, so you don't get kind of exposed as long. But like with with grappling, you actually ha- with like jujitsu, you have to choose to tap sometimes just because you're too tired, just because yeah. it's too overwhelming. Because otherwise, you'll actually just I've I've done it, I've done it to myself. I've had panic attacks because I. Because I you can't, it's air hunger, isn't it? Yeah, you're just like mm-hmm. it's not that I couldn't breathe; it was that I, I was, I was struggling to breathe, and mm-hmm. I didn't feel like there was a way out, and mm-hmm. I was just stuck in that situation for sufficiently long that, like, when it came, when when the situation ended, it was like my nervous system had just been completely destroyed right it's an insane feeling yeah yeah, like it's like getting stuck in like a like a like a tunnel cave-in or something right and you don't know yeah Um, but but with parkour like you have to choose to do the job right so you go up and you stand and you look at this thing that potentially could result in you having horrific catastrophic life-ending potential injuries and you're like yeah i'm gonna do this (laughs) right and then you're and then you get to uh, do I really feel like I can do this? Mm. And you get to walk yourself through the process of like, am I too amped up? Am I too, do I have enough energy for this? And you get a to really tone like really just, it's like a really refined way of walking through the process of dealing with fear.
0: Yeah, the self-regulation that you need for it is, and that's that's how I was thought about. So people like Phil Doyle, Daniel, in the back at the time, they had you had the, your kind of absolute ability, and then you had your expressed ability. And for me, I felt like I was way yeah. like psychologically, I just couldn't get up to this point, but those guys were like both sides were kissing each other, and that was what really separated people who physically just dominated in something like Parkour because they just somehow just knew where that edge was for them and and as you say, it's up to you to sort of push your yourself towards whatever that edge is. And I, I think personally for me, I, that was the thing I struggled with the most. And I mean, the flip side is I didn't really get any horrendous injuries from parkour and that's, that's probably the benefit. Um, but on the flip, I suppose on the other side of it, I never was in absolute terrifying, like mortal danger at any point when I was training parkour A few times when yeah, things can go wrong. And yeah, as you say, you can get horrendously injured. But um, but that's a funny, personal sort of journey that you do make. And I've found that, um, you know, when Socrates talks about like the, his daemon, sort of the, the little voice in the back of the head and, and you see is the worst thing. And we spoke about this quite often, me and the guys in Cambridge, you'd see something. <laughs> so it would kind of attract your eyes for a moment. And if you settled on it for long enough, some bloody thing would click in your head that would just say, That's a you can do that thing there. Yeah. And you think, you son of a bitch. Like yeah. suddenly yeah. like yeah. it yeah. becomes this <laughs> like this red unlocked level, and then you have to go and unlock it. But the process of doing that, but depending on what the thing was was such an ordeal. Um and that's where that was where Parkour really was, I found, when when you identified something that you thought crest i think that is actually somehow doable um and that was part of that map that you start to kind of develop within your parkour parkour vision uh, hence your name i guess yeah Yeah. i uh when i discovered jordan peterson's work he was
1: talking about the the hero's journey that was like that's oh yeah that resonates a lot we are yeah that that is the call to adventure right that's the call dragon And I think that's why it's so powerful. And I think in some fundamental way, it is, uh, is kind of the most fundamental expression of that because it's just you and your body and because of the speed at which it happens. Like if you're on a snowboard, like you, before you hit the jump, like you just get this huge amount of speed, like you're in the flow, right. In a way that you don't. I feel like you don't have as much of an opportunity to kind of turn your brain off in parkour. It mm-hmm. takes more skill. That's my sense. I am not a great snowboarder, so maybe I'm misunderstanding uh, it, but that's my sense having skied and snow uh, and done parkour is there something about parkour that, and it, and it is this thing that it is, it's the original form of exploratory locomotor play. Like every juvenile animal becomes physically competent through exploratory locomotor play. And, mm-hmm. For ninety nine point nine 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 percent of evolution, we didn't have surfboards and snowboards and mountain bikes to do that for us. We just did it with our bodies and the
0: environment. Yeah, right, right. To me, yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think for even though I've not, I've not seriously trained parkour for years, mm-hmm. I, I still feel like it's, it's, there. It's kind of, it, it is, it is embedded within. My like my physical being, yeah, yeah, and and trying out other different activities and things is is served as a really good base for that as well. Um, it's just as a kind of general athletic development. I think it's crazy how there's this
1: idea of donor sports that's developing in the kind of motor learning community right now. That certain sports teach things that then you can go and apply. So mm. an example they used in the first paper that I looked at it. This was actually parkour and measuring gaps closing as actually transferring over to soccer. Mm. You have to see you know, the players moving and there's a gap and there's an opportunity for action to move into that gap to, to make a pass or whatever. Um, and so there's some relationship in the, how your eye reads the environment that's also mm. the kind of thing that's happening over in parkour. Um, obviously, there's also lots of things that are different. But my experience is that parkour is a profound donor sport, right? Like look at what's happened with Toby and his success in, in rock climbing. Um, Mm -hmm. for me, my experience with those, I started doing martial arts, like I said, when I was young and then I went and did MMA Then I took nine years off of doing, uh, so it was a white belt in jujitsu, but I was a pretty experienced white belt. I was a high level white belt, pretty close to getting my blue belt. So I took nine years off in jujitsu and I went back into the gym. And i had done a little bit of sparring, but mostly kickboxing sparring with my students. I went back to the gym and I was ragdolling their blue belts and most of their purple belts and the occasional brown belt, just because I had so much pure physical ability and uh, coordination, locomotive coordination. Like One of the fundamental things I think people don't realize is that any sport that involves manipulating an implement or manipulating another player is fundamentally... Your body moving first, right? So the first thing you have to control, like when you swing a bat, you swing your hand, right? right. Mm. A, yeah, a uh, an opponent, an, an opposing player in uh, in basketball is an obstacle, right? You're having to clear that obstacle to get to the hoop, and obviously the dynamics are slightly different. Movements are slightly different. I'm not going to kong ball over somebody's head, but. There know cool what you did that. <laughs> yeah, I want you. I think of the up. but you'll see it. you'll see guys post when they're dunking Man. on. Yeah. <laughs> see that as a parkour movement. Uh, but uh but yeah, so it's like locomotion is fundamental. and so I was I was doing jiu and I uh <laughs> we were we were being taught this uh sweep where you had to spin up on your back and then change the direction of spin. So there were basically two separate right. roles happening that took you the sweep. And I, I picked it up very quickly, and the class was just totally unable to follow what the teacher was doing. And so then I was able to break it down and say, okay, you're you're actually rotating horizontally and then rotating vertically in a specific way to get your hips in this relationship to the opposite person's hip. Right. The students in that class in jujitsu didn't have enough of a motor base and just pure locomotive ability to feel the difference between the the, the horizontal and the vertical aspect. Yeah, and so like that's why gymnastics and and, trial and some of these other things are invented is to sort of teach that. But parkour is essentially the the er version of it, it's the foundational version, is my perspective.
0: For sure, yeah, yeah, and it, but you do see it. Work the other way as well, don't you? But even then, I guess I'm just thinking of gymnasts like yourself, I suppose. But another gymnast that I met coming into parkour, but you see the sort of uh, baggages are wrong word, but some of that that they bring in and and yeah, and, yeah. Well, I think gymnastics landing with
1: parkour, right? Like yeah, or it's just gymnastics with all the sort of like weird, not all of it, but a lot of the weird cultural trappings pulled off, right? Hmm gymnastics was supposed to be the fundamental locomotive movements of the body right they used to have cool yeah. right in the 1996 olympics they were they compete the men competed a hecht vault as a uh, compulsory element a hecht vault is a straight bodied call mm-hmm. they had to do a Kong vault um, over the over the the old school table without yeah. a tuck so they had to do it with their body completely pike uh, straight like no hip bend and then they were judged For reason. They were judged by how, how straight the body could be and how far they flew. And so they were literally doing Kong precisions. Nice. Gaps. Yeah. Yeah. Straight body. And that used to be, that was in old school gymnastics. Um, And you can go back and see all the old gymnastics manuals have Kong vaults, have flank vaults, have all the vaults. Um, Mm. And then it's been forgotten because it's become this super aesthetic oriented discipline. Um, but what I noticed with with gymnasts is obviously they come into parkour and they're they can they're they're good acrobats. They're really strong and they're used to being able to handle super high training volumes. But they have these weird spaces that they are super uncomfortable with because they've absorbed the frame of gymnastics and they often struggle to step out of it. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. One of the things that this this one's not that important, but one of the things that someone pointed out to me. Early on, he was like, Oh, I know you have a gymnastics background. And I was like, Why? He's because you saluted. Did you land like this? <laughs> like, like, she's standing there and put your hands up at the land. <laughs> Please uh, tell me you did. <laughs> I I don't think I did it like. I hope you did. Like, man. somehow my body was showing enough of it that, that <laughs> yeah. this person could pick up that it was like there in my head. Um, <laughs> Finished. And then. Um, but like what I one thing I've noticed is that a lot of gymnasts, for instance, really struggle to learn a shoulder roll. They can't Yeah, yeah. It's off axis, isn't it? Yeah. Cannot, they're not allowed yeah. to be off axis. They have to go straight. It's mm-hmm. straight sideways, straight forward, straight backwards. And the same thing, like I've really struggled to learn a corkscrew because my body is like, nope, we're gonna go straight over the top. It's like getting that that 45 or 90 leg slot is so uncomfortable and unnatural for me. And I didn't even do like I wasn't like a team level gymnast who did a ton of it. I was like a shitty uh recreational gymnast who started when I was fifteen and was way too tall and heavy for some work Right. Yeah. And I
0: like got in Yeah, it's crazy because you just uh you really do hold on to these habits as you uh, I guess that's part of the the argument for just a massively wide array of activities when you were young and not specializing too heavily. Um, because I think people tend to do worse if I'm, if I'm oh, not mistaken, if they just specialize much better, Yeah, it's a big thing with my kids. Cause I have three kids, a 10,
1: eight and, mm. uh, and five year old. So like my, my son's the most, well, my younger two are very athletically driven and then my son's older. So he's been, he's been exposed to the most stuff, but he's done. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a year when he was four. He did it almost a year of Capoeira. He's been doing parkour stuff with me since. They've all been doing parkour stuff with me since they were awesome. And wrestling with me. Um, He did a year. He's done two-year seasons of rugby. um, And then we go to the Ninja Gym. And then he's competing at the Ninja Gym and competing at uh, track and field. But we don't train specifically for ninja skills, and we don't train specifically for track. So when he shows up, he now?
0: He's eight. Eight, okay cool yeah that sounds perfect
1: yeah it's crazy i mean like he he ran a 168300 and like a like an 8650 last year which his which is like you know i think it's like 80th percentile for like trained track athletes in his age group um that's rapid yeah uh,
0: without i guess having like really dedicated no to just training that yeah yeah uh, just no training
1: yeah and then he and rugby and then he uh His vertical leap is fourteen inches, which is like just off the scales for kids his age. Like that's you know is way above the percentile chart. Yeah, you have
0: to go to the twelve to thirteen year olds to find the percentile for that. Um, I'd love to know. I'd love it to just see as a thought experiment, like split test if he just never did that and did the, the standard. Kids growing up, stuff, iPads, blah, 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 just how he would be. Because I think physical misery just for children gives them such confidence. Um, I don't know how he is in terms of his like externalized confidence and how he carries himself. But I remember when I was a kid, I must have been seven. And I remember just coming into contact with the first ever peer who was just a physical monster. And I think. I can't remember what really happened, but I was—I think I was taking the piss out of him a bit. If I'm honest, He was like a new kid there just joined, and just, I was just ribbing him a bit. And he got me in some weird headlock, did some strange judo throw on the floor, and it was just like the level of confidence that he had, and he just cruised through the school because he had this ability to carry himself, and that stuck with me when I was even that young. Um, I think it's somewhere that we're really falling down, actually, with 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 kids not not yeah. having that literacy. Yeah. I'm writing,
1: I'm going to, we just put up a blog post. We're going to put up a blog post tomorrow that's going to be about yeah, managing my uh, my kids' uh, physical education and about, about why we're, you know, as a culture, we're really falling down in producing
0: uh, healthy people because they don't. Yeah. Sounds like a balance between the over- Like pressured father, (laughs) the father is just being encouraging and just trying to. It is, it is, and we emphasize
1: both lots of athletic activity, lots of unstructured outdoor playtime, but also no specialization, right? No early specialization. Sounds ideal, man. Yeah, yeah. Limited, limited, like structure. Is training motivation not just externalized? Yeah. Win this trophy. Yeah. So I have to to go here in about. 10 minutes i really am enjoying this what i wanted to kind of touch on last is we, were talking, we talked a lot about how important the philosophy of parkour was to us in the early generation and like i think a lot of people went through the same. talked about where you're we like parkour's to save the world i'm going to be able to save people from a burning building you know like we're we're training for this to like actually i'm probably never gonna have to run away from somebody Probably never gonna have to run what i (laughs) shot save someone from a burning building i've devoted dozens of hours i've devoted like multiple hours every week to this activity that's basically just a hobby
0: what the hell am i doing oh it's about the journey whoops
1: (laughs) and 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 like how do i actually take that philosophy and do something with it and i think you know obviously i mean In my hands. So he went that Tag had his whole thing about that. But a surprising number, it feels like among the kind of really early generation, a lot of guys went into service oriented positions. Like you're a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. Doctor. Uh, Chris Rowett, Blaine, is a firefighter. Firefighter. Yeah. Firefighter. I feel like there's quite a few of us who are like that, that be strong to be useful really got deep in and it impacted their career. So I'm curious, do you feel like that was
0: actually critical to your career choice or was it immaterial? Oh, it'd be nice to retrospectively apply that and say yes. But no, I think actually, I knew that I wanted to do something with health and physicality in the broadest sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was... Definitely from parkour, without a doubt. That that kind of made that a priority in my career choice. And so when I was thinking about what to do, I was toying with the ideas of personal training, physiotherapy, becoming an EMT or a paramedic, uh, strength and conditioning, all those sorts of things. Um, but uh, my, my dad's a family physician, and so I'd always known about medicine kind of peripherally and he seemed to enjoy his job a lot and i'd been on house calls and things with him when i was a a kid um and seen some pretty crazy things and um it always stuck with me actually so i think oh yeah i wanted to do something with health and i wanted to do something where i was directly working with people and trying to have some sort of impact on them and um and I, i remember when i was at university at one point i was like oh Parkour's great movement. Blah, blah, blah. I wonder if you could help people using movement, and that was kind of my starting point. Um, and that's why I thought about physiotherapy and things. And then that progressed a bit, and I thought about medicine. And I just thought, well, that's a nice broad field with more than enough to chew on. And so, yeah, it, the the motivation for going towards medicine was, yeah, I guess it was rooted partly in wanting to do something useful. Um and and just wanting to have something that was way, 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 way bigger than me that would just I'd never be able to wrap my hands around and would just be an ongoing process of learning. That was another really deliberate thing. I was like, I need to be able to keep learning in whatever career I'm doing. And it wants to be I want to do it in health. I want to do it with people. Medicine seems to be the thing to do. So
1: so how do you feel like your perspective as a doctor within medicine has been impacted by that background in parkour like how do you feel like you differ maybe from other people in your field because you carry that that background
0: i don't know this. i think now i do think that medics come from loads of different backgrounds like uh, there's people from the Merchant Navy. I've got a friend. Um, people have done jazz degrees, uh, obviously, different athletes. I think there's a lot of people that come with backgrounds that don't necessarily mean that I've got anything kind of special and unique ahead, ahead of that. But look, yeah, thinking about parkour and how it's maybe impacted for me, the main thing has been because I've never really had much of a scientific background for my main subjects at school or a levels i did like art photography and philosophy I had no formal training really in the sciences and that's kind of a big thing that you need to <laughs> know from medicine it turns out from so that was uh I had a huge imposter syndrome which um i've had for a lot of the time of being in medicine and um, and i think i think parkour definitely taught me that you can do something that you identify with the requisite amount of work and kind of just focus and there's a number of different examples in parkour and physical pursuits that proved that to me and so I definitely learned if you just do a bunch of work normally unless something tragic happens you can do the thing that you want to do and that applied to the scientific foundation I had to get so I was studying biochemistry and Loads of things that were way outside of my wheelhouse and I honestly didn't have a clue what any of it meant and I really struggled with it. But I knew that if I just continued and I I just spent the time. And so I, for the first kind of year, I, I think I worked, I worked much harder than probably most of my other peers to stay at the same level. Um, so I was like frantically swimming underwater with my legs. But it's meant that because I know that I can do that, um, I've been able to sort of catch up and 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 go in the direction that I want to go in. And that 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 applied for the career choice I've made. I'm an emergency medicine training, and it's been fairly competitive recently. Um, and to get into the program, again, I just thought, right, there's a bunch of boxes I need to tick. Uh, and I seem to be quite good at just if someone says these, you need to do A, B, C, and D, I'm like, yes, sir, just get my head down and do it. And so for the training program to get onto that, there were a few boxes I need to take and I've just through parkour and probably some other things developed the ability to be able to just like kind of shut out everything else and just, just do the work that I need to do to get to that point. Um, and the, the, I guess the second, the number two, um, the thing in parkour, I got confidence from that because I started to get competent within parkour, um, With in my own eyes, I got comfortable within different environments and things, and so I view in medicine overcoming sort of my initial imposter syndrome and that sort of thing, and building confidence. the The path towards that for me is just trying to get good at the thing, just competence. Yeah. And now that I'm, you know, in my fifth year working as a doctor, I feel much more grounded. I feel I feel pretty confident in scenarios that would have. Scared the hell out of me before. Um, and the only way that I can feel that is that I feel fairly competent in certain areas. I've got like a, a bit of evidence behind me that I can look back on and say, Oh, I've done that before. This is kind of similar. I should be okay. In a similar way to parkour, oh, I've done a jump like this before. I reckon I might be able to do this. Therefore, I think it should be okay. So I think that that's a parallel that is definitely carried forwards at the moment. And it's something that I'm using pretty much daily i'm working in intensive well i've just finished six months in intensive care and a lot of that was just dealing with patients that are you know horrendously unwell and you're kind of going in situations thinking oh my god what do i do with this person but after building up enough experience that it's similar and analogous um, and then in my downtime reading about it putting the work in to understand the things that i've seen and just doing Extra kind of developmental work around that—that that gives me more confidence to go in, and I've yeah, sort of carried those aspects of parkour into into my career. I guess those are the main things I think.
1: Yeah, honest. it's like a yeah.
0: It's
1: not the only background that could teach you that, but not at all yeah utility to those hell nights that. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you came into the hell nights of, of get the reps of- first of all, figuring the stuff out, and then now having to deal with it in the day to day. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to run. I have a hard stop right at at uh, noon my time. So, of course, man. I really, I really enjoyed this, Jin. Um, I hope we get to the chat when um, yep. yeah, we we'll come over to the UK. Uh, normally, I, I use this time to have people plug their online brands, but that's not you. But uh, is there anywhere people can find the old TCT footage? Oh, they want to see what I, we were
0: talking about. I think, I don't think there is, you know. Um, if you, there's an Owen video floating somewhere Owen Record of Achievements right. if you search that on YouTube you'll get some you get some good old school TCT TCT with Cambridge Tracers uh, yeah uh, hope to uh, speak again soon have a good day you too man yeah it's been to take
1: care